Take your Bibles with me if you're watching right now online. Take your Bibles with us as well and turn to Romans chapter 8, the passage that Paul just read, verses 12 through 17. That's what we're looking at today. And I want to start this morning by just asking a question Are you a child of God? Are you now? Do you call God your Father? Abba, Father. Did you hear that? Even the, the emotion of that as Paul was reading it? Is it okay? Is it okay to call God Abba, Father, Daddy even? You know, that term Daddy that we use in English or Papa in some languages, it's a very tender term of affection. My mom, she likes to tell this story of my birthday every year. So October 11th, I usually get a call from my mom and she tells a story about when I was born, October 11th, 1978. And back then the men were allowed in the hospital rooms, the delivery room, but they weren't, you know, they had to kind of stand at a distance and they had to wear masks. And she, she always tells a story about my dad wearing this mask. And when I was born, she looked up and his mask was full of moisture and tears because he just wept through almost through the mask and it was all fogging up too you know he had to kind of smear it so he could see through it I love it when she tells me that story I'm 41 years old I still love hearing the story about my dad and I loved it when I was a kid too you know because my dad some of y'all know my dad my dad's a tough guy you know he's really manly he does all that manly stuff that I don't do you know like fix stuff around the house and uh, he, he rarely cried when I was a kid, but I have that moment. He cried when I was born. And I, I celebrate that even as she tells me, but I'll tell you what, I, I didn't really understand the raw emotion of that until February 14th, 2007, when my own son was born. And my own tears of joy filled my face. And that joy was repeated a year later when Alistair said for the first time, Daddy, when he first called me Daddy. And I can't remember crying at that time, but I was, I was filled with joy and with, pri with pride when he said that. And that's the relationship that's created when men become dads. And it's a good thing. That's the emotion that's present when, with fathers and their children. And we find that in Romans 8. What, what we find out in Romans 8 is that that emotion that we feel as dads, that's a derivative emotion. We get that from God the Father and his experiences with God the Son. We get that with God the Father in his experiences with us as his children. That intimacy and that emotion and that affection is present cosmically as a new believer in Christ. Jesus is born again. God the Father feels that, and we feel that too. And you know, that, that is an amazing thing when someone becomes a Christian. It is. When they get the Holy Spirit. That's good. We talked all about that last week. But even more than that, more, even more than getting the Holy Spirit, or you might say as part of that, they get status. They get prestige when they become a Christian. They become a child of God. Do you know how fantastic that is? 
The great theologian J.I. Packer, he wrote this in his classic work, Knowing God. You can read this on the screen. He said, if you want to judge how well a person understands Christianity, find out how much he makes of the thought of being God's child and having God as his father. If this is not the thought that prompts and controls his worship and his prayers and his whole outlook on life, it means that he does not understand Christianity very well at all. This is the essence of Christianity. We are reconciled to God, and we become a child of God. And it's good. Now, that, that is good. That's all good. But I, I will say this. There are some obligations that come with being a child of God, too. And Paul's going to talk about that in Romans 8. And I feel that as a Kathy. I carry my father's name, Kathy. Everything I do reflects on him. Are you Kathy's kid? Yes, I am. I heard that a few times in my childhood, and I didn't want to screw that up. I didn't want to defame that name. My son carries that name too. No pressure, Alistair. Just, he's a Kathy. There's an obligation that comes with that. There's a, there's a privilege that comes with that. In my house, you know, there's, there's, my son has privileges. He has inheritances that belong to him and nobody else. He carries my name, but with that comes responsibilities. He's got to unload the dishwasher. He's got to take out the trash and do his schoolwork. He's got to obey his mama. And he, he is responsible before the Lord to submit to the authority of his daddy and his mama. And like, like no other child, you know, your children don't, I mean, yeah, I'm Pastor Tony to them, but they don't, it's not like that with them, okay? And by the way, I don't have the capacity to, to, to be a dad to everybody in the world, okay? Or even everybody in the church, that is a unique relationship, just like you with your kids, father and son, father and daughter. But I will tell you this, God has the capacity, unlike me, to take all of us in this room and beyond this, all the, the, the children of God through 2,000 years of church history, and he can be their father, and they can be his sons and daughters. I don't have that capacity, he does. And, and by the way, some of you might say right now, I, I know anytime you talk about fathers, we live in a country in a, in a day when fatherlessness is present. You might say, Pastor Tony, I, I didn't have a good father. I had a, an abusive father. I had an, an absentee father. And I want you to know, I, I understand that. I sympathize with that. I don't share that experience, but I know how painful that can be. And I, I'll just tell you this morning, that should make Romans 8 even more precious to you. Where your father failed you, God will never fail you. And you know what? All of us have to reckon with that, even those of us who had good dads. Even those of you who are dads out there right now, you will fail your children. You will. So just... Just get over that. And, and what you need to be doing, especially as they age, is pointing them towards their heavenly father who will never fail them. That's, that's part of our duties as fathers. Let me say it this way. God does not have grandchildren. One of the things that God does too, as part of being his children is that he disciplines us. He loves us and he disciplines us. He's not like a grandparent. You know how grandparents are. Oh, don't worry about it, you know. Just let them do whatever. They, they leave the disciplining to the parents, right? Well, God's, God has no grandchildren. 
God has children and he disciplines them. And when we fail the Lord, he picks us up and he says, son, daughter, stop it. Get back in there. You can do better. I've empowered you by my Holy Spirit to do better. That's part of what this passage is about as well. How to leverage the Holy Spirit inside of us to please our Father who is in heaven. God loves us as a father, but let me tell you, it's not a, it's not a pampering love. It's not an enabling love. It's an empowering love so that we can serve him and represent him well. So we're going to talk this morning. This is all my introduction, okay? Now it's time to preach. We're going to talk this morning about what it means to be a child of God. And are you all with me so far? Everybody with me? Okay, I didn't lose anybody, did I? As we get into the text, I want, I want to share with you these identifiers, three identifiers for the children of God, because that's our identity. We are the children of God. Yes. Okay. Well, what does that look like? How do we live that out? How, what does obedience to Romans 8 look like? Not just obedience in terms of being, but in doing and living our lives in, in accord with that being. That's what we're talking about today. Okay? So... Three identifiers for the children of God. This is you if you are a child of God. Number one, the children of God, church, they put fleshly deeds to death. This is what we do. Paul says in verse 12, he says, So then, brothers, we are debtors not to the flesh. We don't owe the flesh anything. To live according to the flesh. Now remember last week, with the context of what we're talking about here, Paul said in the previous section that we walk according to the Spirit and not according to the flesh. Okay? That verse 4, that's clear. Spirit good, flesh bad. Spirit is what we want to be controlled by. It's what we want to listen to. Flesh, we don't. Okay, so the flesh tells us to do what we want to do. The flesh tells us if it feels good, do it. The flesh tells us to forget about the consequences, forget about who we represent, forget about who your daddy is, just do whatever feels good. The spirit, on the other hand, inside of us is telling us, asking us even, do you know who your daddy is? Do you remember who your daddy is? Do you know what Christ has done for you to make you a child of God? Do you remember what sin and selfishness leads to? That doesn't make you happy. That doesn't satisfy you. That's what the Spirit's doing inside of here. Now, the, the point here is that we are not debtors to the flesh. We don't owe the flesh anything. Why not? Well, because the flesh failed us. God gave us his law, and the flesh couldn't fulfill the law. The flesh choked. The flesh failed so Jesus had to step in, Jesus had to die for our sins, Jesus had to give us his righteousness, Jesus gave us his Holy Spirit. If we owe anybody anything, we owe Christ, and we owe his Spirit. But notice here that Paul doesn't say that we are debtors to Christ. There's very precise theological language here. It's, it's very precise thinking by Paul. We don't owe a debt to Christ. That would be theologically compromising. We're not debtors. We are the sons and daughters of God. That is different. Okay, you don't charge your children for raising them, which is good because it costs something like $250,000. Can you imagine when they turn 18? Son, it's time to settle accounts. 
Come on into my office. Food bill, $100,000. Medical coverage, $50,000. Remember that time you jumped on your bed and you broke it? $500. Pay up. We'll get a payment plan going for the next 50 years for you. You don't do that with your kids, do you? You, they don't owe you. They're not debtors to you. We're not debtors to God. We're not debtors to Christ. We are his children. And we, and, and here's what Paul's really emphasizing. We are certainly not debtors to the flesh. So, verse 13, if you live according to the flesh, you will die. Why would you do that? But if by the Spirit, look at this, verse 13. This is so important. This is what I'm getting at right here. This is mortifying your flesh. This is putting to death the deeds of the flesh. But if by the Spirit, not by your own power, if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. That's what we do as the children of God. You know, in the ancient world, it's funny, this is so different in our modern context, but in the ancient world, sons did what their daddies did. So y'all know this, right? We've talked about this. If daddy was a carpenter, son would be a carpenter. He would teach that trade as the boy was growing up. If dad was a farmer, the son was a farmer too. He would learn that trade. And, you know, that changed in the modern world with higher education. I'm not so sure that that changed for the better. Maybe in some cases. I mean, I, I see too many kids coming out of college. They, they still don't know what to do with their life. Maybe it'd be better if they learned a trade. I don't know. I don't want to get off on that. But, you know, in the ancient world, you, as a child, you resembled your dad much more than maybe you would do in this modern context. And we similarly, what Paul's saying here is that we will be like daddy. We will be about daddy's business. We will start to look like dad. Dad is holy. Dad is righteous. Dad has given us his Holy Spirit. Dad is untainted by sin. And so we as the children of God start to, to act and to look like daddy over time. We, we take on what are called the communicable attributes of God, those things that we can be like God in. That is what we do. And some of you might say, that's impossible, Pastor Tony. I can't be exactly like God. That's true. We don't resemble him perfectly. But the reason God gave us his Holy Spirit, the reason God gave us even these scriptures that we're studying today is so that we could be more like our Father who is in heaven empowered to imitate him what son doesn't want to be like his dad really when I was a kid you know my dad he had this uh signature he would sign his name and it was it was the weirdest signature and if he's listening right now sorry dad it's true he, he would slant his letters to the right really thin elegantly you know and then write his whole name and I saw that as a kid. I was, that is so cool. I want to do that just like my dad. The problem is my dad is right-handed and I'm left-handed. So what I would do as a kid is I would torque my hand all the way around and try to mimic that cursive writing. I wanted to be like my dad. I wanted a signature like his. You know, I wanted to, I wanted to shoot a basketball like my dad. Except for his goofy hook shot from like an old era. I didn't want to do that. But, you know, he shot right hand, I shot left hand. I wanted to shoot like him. I wanted to comb my hair like he combed his hair. 
I, I wanted to tie a tie like he tied his tie. And the, the children of God want to be like daddy too. Now here, let's talk about this, putting to death the deeds of the body, because this is important. I need to qualify that statement for you and be clear about this. Otherwise, we're going to end up in Gnostic world where we think the physical body is evil. And that is not what Paul is saying right here. What Paul's talking about here is the misdeeds of the body. By the Spirit, you put to death the deeds, the misdeeds, the sin, if you will, of the body. If you do that, then you will live. So let's just get real specific here about what this looks like. You know, sex and the use of sex in the body is not bad. It's a good thing. It's a good gift that God has given us if it's done in the proper context of a marriage relationship between a man and a woman. That's good. If we pervert that, then that's the deeds of the flesh. That's the deeds of the body that we need to put to death. We use also um, our stomachs for good, not evil. We eat food, and it's good to eat food, and food is a blessing from the Lord. But, but we can use our appetites, we can use our mouths, we can use our tongues, we can use our stomachs for, sometimes for, for, for our gluttonous, fleshly appetites. And we need to be careful about that. We need to use our eyes for good and for not evil. We can use our eyes to read God's word and be influenced by it. It's good that we have eyes. These eyes are not inherently evil. These hands are not inherently evil. This body is not inherently evil, intrinsically evil. We can use them for good and when we use them for bad, we do things like look at pornography or we look with covetous desires at the possessions of other people. And what Paul says here is we've got to kill those sinful misdeeds of the flesh, those sinful deeds of the body. Everybody with me? And, and you might read that and you might say, kill, that's, that's an awful strong word, Pastor Tony. Put to death is what Paul says. We mortify is the old way in which... You know, you would say it in King James English, and that sounds a little harsh. If that sounds harsh to you, it's probably because you haven't been battling sin very long. Start battling sin for a while, and you think, mm, yeah, kills the right word. Mortify is the right word, because if you, if you massage it, or if you try to talk yourself out of it, or if you, you keep it on life support, it will rise up and harass you. And so you got to do this. This is what we do as the children of God. The great theologian, John Owen, he said this once. He said, you must always be killing sin or else it will be killing you. That's, that's a job description for the child of God. You must always be killing sin or else it'll be, kill, it'll be killing you. You remember that scene in Return of the Jedi, when Luke Skywalker gets thrown into Jabba the Hutt's pit, do y'all remember that? And he, he's fighting with Jabba the Hutt's rancor or whatever that nasty monster is. Y'all know what I'm talking about? That's you and your sin. Either you're going to die or he's going to die. Okay? Is that vivid enough for you there? You got to kill that thing. You've got... Here's how, here's how John Owen writes it in his book, The Mortification of Sin. He says, do you mortify? Do you make it your daily work? 
Be always at it whilst you live. Cease not a day from this work. Be killing sin or it will be killing you. And here's the great thing about your battle with sin. So I, I hope you can see me accelerating on the gas and then pumping the brakes. Accelerating, pumping the brakes. Always reminding you of who you are in Christ, of your identity as a child of God. The great thing about your battle with sin is even when you lose, you win. You are secure in Christ Jesus. You are secure in your sonship. So you fight and you scrap and you win and sometimes you lose. And even when you lose, the Lord will dust you off, give you a pat on the tush and send you back out there and say, get it done, son. Wow. Are we good? I'm overloading the circuits with my volume. Here, let me say this. We put to death the deeds of the flesh, not in order to be the children of God, but because we are the children of God. Everybody with me? That is an important distinction. Charles Spurgeon said this, the 19th century Baptist preacher. You can read this on the screen. He says, the believer, like a man on shipboard, may fall again and again on the deck, but he will never fall overboard. Isn't that a good picture? That's you. You fail, make mistakes, you fall to sin again and again. You will never fall overboard. The Lord sustains you. You may disappoint your father in heaven, but you will never be disowned by him. It's like you with your children. Your children will disappoint you. Do you disown them? No. They're yours. They have your name. They'll disappoint you, but you'll never disown them. So a child of God will fight to mortify sin in their life. By the way, let me say this too. Your church can help you with that. Do you know that? You know, I was praying this morning with the worship team, and I was just talking about the nature of spiritual warfare. And part of spiritual warfare means going to church and studying the scriptures and worshiping God. Even as we were singing those songs today, I felt the power of God growing inside of me singing these truths from my heart. This is spiritual warfare when we get here and we praise the Lord. And that's, that, that's activating the Holy Spirit inside of us to put to death the deeds of the flesh. So prayer is a resource for that. Small groups is a resource for that. Sunday morning is a resource for that. Worship is a resource for that. They are, these are flesh-killing activities. These are sin-destroying habits of the Christian. So here's the second thing that a child of God does. They, first of all, they're led by the Spirit. Sorry, first of all, they put to death the deeds of the flesh. Secondly, they are led by the Spirit. They're led by the Spirit. Let me make a quick clarification here. I'm using this term, the children of God. I hope you realize I'm using this very precisely for those who are believers. Y'all know that, right? And I think there are some people in our world, maybe you've heard this, some people will say, well, aren't, aren't we all God's children? 
Aren't all people God's children? If you haven't been asked that question, you, you will be asked that question at some point, I assure you. And I think, I think people ask that question. And people, I think people say that we're all God's children because there's this longing in the human heart to be connected to God the Creator, to be, to be loved and to be affirmed. And so they'll say things like, we're all God's children. All religions are the same. We all serve the same God. But is that true according to Romans 8? Listen, I, I admit there is a sense in which all of the people in this world are God's children or God's offspring. Paul even says that in Acts chapter 17. We're all, every human being around the world is made in God's image, is an, an offspring of God in that way. But I want you to know here as Paul's talking in Romans 8, he's talking more precisely about those who are the sons of God, those who are the co-heirs with Christ Jesus, those who have faith in Christ. Paul is not saying everybody because that would be universalism. And Paul is not a universalist. Paul is saying here that only those who are saved followers of Jesus Christ are the children of God. And one of the ways that you know you know that you know that you know that you are a child of God is that the Holy Spirit is put inside of you and you are led by the Spirit. You are led by the Spirit. So are we clear about that? Okay. Are we all God's children? No. Are we all God's creation? Yes, we are. We're all made in the image of God. And there is hope, even everybody right now in this room, anybody who's watching right now online, any of you can even right now become a child of God if you aren't already. You do that by faith in Christ. You do that by confessing your sin and repenting and turning to Christ for salvation. That is how someone becomes a child of God. Look at verse 14 with me in your Bibles. So if you are a child of God, then this is you. Verse 14, for all who are led by the Spirit of God are, what's your Bible say? Sons of God. Who are the sons of God? For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. No spirit, no sonship. No sonship, no spirit. Now listen up. Just for the ladies who are in this room, let me just talk to you for a moment. I don't want you to be put off by this masculine language here. The ESV, if you have an ESV translation or another one that uses the term sons, um, the reason they didn't translate this as children or as sons and daughters is, is important. And it's a good thing. I'm glad they didn't. This Greek word weos is being used technically here for something important. In the Roman world, it was the sons that inherited from the fathers, right? That was true in the Roman world. That was true in the, uh, the Jewish world as well. I mean, that was true. If, if you've seen... <laughs> If you've seen Downton Abbey, you know that was true in England like a few decades ago. If you've read Pride and Prejudice, you know even, even in Elizabethan England, when Elizabeth, Queen Elizabeth, was the most powerful person in the world, sons inherited the properties from their father. And that's how it has been. So in terms of metaphor, okay, I want you all to think, ladies, in terms of metaphor. In terms of metaphor, you are a son of God. You will inherit what God has for you to inherit. 
And by the way, we just talked about men being the bride of Christ a few weeks ago, right? And I told the men to embrace the metaphor, okay? So ladies, embrace this metaphor. And you should because you are co-heirs with Christ Jesus. Just like the men in this room. Even Peter says to husbands, treat your wives with honor because they are co-heirs of the grace of life with you. Okay? So back to the text here. For all who are led by the Spirit of God, men and women both are sons of God. You inherit what God has for you. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons. We don't need to be afraid. You did not receive the spirit of slavery falling back into fear. You don't need to be afraid. You don't need to slink back into a place of fear. Like, I don't know if I'm saved. I don't know. I don't know if God's going to accept me. God is going to receive you because you are a child of God. He owns you. He's like a, he's like a mama bear with her cubs with you. He's going to take care of you. He's going to look out for you. You don't need to be afraid. You don't need to feel eternally insecure if you're a child of God. J.D. Greer, he he tells this great story about when he was a little boy. He went, when he was five years old, he went camping with his dad. And it was kind of a big deal. It was like a rite of passage for him as a little boy to go camping with his dad at age five. But as a kid, Greer had an overactive imagination. Can I say it that way? Anybody got kids like this in this room? Don't answer that question. You probably know what I'm talking about. And so he was terrified of going camping and sleeping in the woods. He thought these crazy wild animals were going to come in and get him in the tent in the middle of the night. He thought ghosts and goblins were out there in the woods going to come and get him. And so what he did, five years old, in the tent, is he put his hand on his dad's belly. And as long as he had his hand on his dad's belly, he knew he was safe. And his dad asked him later, like, why, why did you have your hand on your, my belly? He's like, I was scared, Dad. As long as I touched you, I knew I was okay. Right here, this is Paul telling you, you can put your hand on God's belly and feel safe. He is your dad. He is daddy. He is taking care of you. He is protecting you. And you can even cry out. Look at, verse, look at the end of verse 15. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by which we cry out, by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. God is our Father. We can use that language there. Now, listen, here, this is important. That word adoption there, everybody see that in your, in your text? That is a key word there because none of you are natural born sons of God. None of you. We're all adopted. Okay, the only what you might call natural born son of God would be Adam born without a sin nature, but then he sinned and he failed and he failed us too as our head. Jesus Christ as well, the son of God, he succeeded where Adam failed. And it's through Jesus Christ We've talked about this, right? Our faith in him, his righteousness becomes our righteousness. His Holy Spirit becomes our Holy Spirit and dwells inside of him. It's because of him that now we have a spirit of adoption. We, we are, 
We are received as a child of God through what Jesus has done for us. And we can cry out, Abba, Father. What does Abba mean? What does that mean? That is not a 1970 Swedish band singing Take a Chance on Me, okay? (laughs) Abba is the Aramaic word for dad. The Hebrew word for dad is Av. So Abba is a derivative of that, and it's, it's a term of endearment, <laughs> you know? And, and it's this connection, this close, relational, emotional connection between us and God. By the way, that word, the Greek word father here, Abba, father, that word pater in Greek, we get our word, you know, paternity from that Greek word pater, paternalistic. Pater has a similar meaning. Little Roman kids, little Greek-speaking kids in the Roman church would call their daddy pater. And so it's just a little signal here that Paul's writing to a multi-ethnic, multicultural church, Jews and Gentiles both. The little Jewish kids would have called their dads Abba. Jesus would have called Joseph, his adoptive father, Abba, father, daddy. The little Roman, Greek-speaking kids would have said, pater. And what's Paul trying to tell us here? What's he trying to convince us of in verses 14 and 15? Let's just reverse engineer this passage. Paul's saying, not that we are sons of God because we cry, Abba, Father. Okay? You can program a computer to say, Abba, Father. That doesn't mean that computer's a child of God. You don't become that by saying it. What he's saying is that because we are led by the Spirit, because we are indwelt by the Spirit of God, the Spirit of adoption, we can justly and truthfully call God Abba, Father. The opposite of the spirit of fear and slavery. Do you call Do you start, some of you start your prayers with Father, or Father who art in heaven, right? If you want to do it formally like Jesus did. Some of you, you pray, Father. Is that okay? Can we do that? Yes, we can. Paul says we can here. You know, when I was a kid, we used to sing this song. I learned more theology as a kid from music than I did from my pastor's preaching, all right? Just so you know. So parents, be aware of that with the music that you're giving your kids. We sang this song when I was a kid, and it went like this. Behold what manner the love. Behold what manner of love the Father has given unto us. Behold what manner the love of... (laughs) Something like that. That we should be called the sons of God. Y'all ever heard this before? That we should be called the sons of God. That word, or that uh, song, is a word-for-word recounting of 1 John 3, verse 1. And John says this in that verse. Here's the ESV. You can read this on the screen. He says, See what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called children of God, and so we are. The NIV translates it this way. I like this version. How great is the love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God. And that is what we are. 
You can just hear the marvel of that in John's words as he writes that. Here's this Jewish guy. You would never call God your father in the Jewish world. But here's these two Jewish guys, Paul in Romans, John in 1 John, and they're calling God Father. Why are they doing that? I'll tell you why they're doing that. They learned that from Jesus. And Jesus said, hey, boys, here's how you pray. Our Father who art, whoa, call God our Father? Really? We can do that? We have that kind of intimate relationship? In the Jewish world, you wouldn't even say the name God. It was too holy for, for perverted human lips to say. And now we're calling God our Father, our Abba who art in heaven. The Spirit, and here's what Paul's saying here, the Spirit inside of us is giving us the assurance that we belong to God, and so we can call God Father. I know this is a little bit the Spirit leading you, the Spirit inside. I know there's, there's a mystical nature to that. I mean, I can't cut you open right now as a doctor and say, there it is. There's the Spirit of God inside of you. Right? There's, there's a metaphysical reality to that. There's a mystical part to that. But I'll just tell you, I mean, I, I've never cut myself open and seen a heart inside of me, but I know it's there. And I've never cut myself up, metaphysically speaking, and said, there it is. There's the Spirit of God right inside of me. But I know it's inside of me. I know it. I'm being led by the Spirit. I'm being convicted of stuff I don't want to be convicted of. Am I the only one? I'm being prompted to do stuff some days I don't want to do. Praise God for that. Otherwise, I would just wallow in the filth of my own sinfulness. Happily, at first. Here's the last identifier of a child of God. So I've given you two things, right? Here's the third thing. And I'll be honest, this third one, it's a little bittersweet, okay? Are you ready for it? This is... This is this is a really inspiring message un until the end. <laughs> I'll circle back with inspiration, but I'll just tell you, this is, a, this is a bittersweet thing, this last point. It's this, the children of God endure suffering as co-heirs with Jesus. For some of you in this room, that, that doesn't surprise you. You've read the New Testament. You know that Jesus said, in this world, you will have trouble. Didn't he? Jesus said this, whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. Jesus said, if the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. Paul says in 1 Thessalonians chapter 3 that Christians are destined for afflictions. Peter says in 1 Peter verse 4, sorry, chapter 4, verse 12, says, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. Paul says in Philippians 1, for to you it has been granted for Christ's sake not only to believe in him, but also to suffer 
for his sake. I could go on and on with these kind of verses in the New Testament. I don't want to be like one of those dopes on TV that tell you that if you follow Jesus, it's just one big gravy train. That does not square with the New Testament. And I think, you know, in an odd way, I'm trying to encourage you. <laughs> I think in America today, we get this wrong, you know. We, we get cancer, we get heart disease. And then we think, why, God, why? Why are you punishing me? You know, we get insulted at school or we get insulted on Facebook for actually believing what the Bible says. We say, why, God, why? He told us that would happen. He told us to expect that. When someone hates you or calls you a bigot, because you actually believe that sex should be reserved between a man and a woman in marriage, you should receive criticism from the world for that. We should be hated for that. We should expect that. The path of least resistance isn't the path of co-heirs with Christ Jesus. Are you all with me? Paul said this. In ver- Let's look at verse 16 together. Let me, let me substantiate this with what Paul's saying here. Paul says, the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. Yes, I like that, Pastor Tony. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ Jesus. Yes, Pastor Tony, I like that. Give me some of that. I want all of that. Where's the suffering? I don't see any suffering. You know, it's funny, this, this whole heir thing, because... I mean, we could, I, I, could, I could seriously stop the message right here and just talk about this, and we would all just be raptured with this reality. We are co-heirs with Christ Jesus. Do you know how crazy that is? We get to receive the inheritance that Christ receives through faith in him? We didn't do anything for that. You know, every once in a while in my home, I like to say to my son, Alistair, bring me a cold beverage and I'll give you half my kingdom. <laughs> and he, he always says to that, Dad, I'm your only heir. <laughs> I, I'm already getting all of it. And that's true. I mean, I couldn't say that if I had more than one, one kid, so I like to say that. What's Paul saying right here? You are co- everything that Christ has, you get. Isn't that amazing? You didn't do anything to receive that. But here's the thing, and here's where Paul's statement takes a negative turn. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. Yes, yes, I want that, Lord. I want that part. Provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. Ew, I don't want any of that. That sounds harsh. That sounds difficult. Is there an easier path, Pastor Tony, to that? Can we go around the suffering? You know, the book of James says that love for God means enmity with the world. The world hated Jesus. 
And if you follow Jesus, if you're an heir with Christ Jesus, then the world's going to hate you. And if the world, I, I will say this, and this is just a word of warning to all of you. If the world has nothing but good to say about you, good, 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 you should probably be worried. You know, if the New York Times was writing a story about you right now, your life, and was just gushing and gushing and gushing with good, good, this guy's everything, everything perfect, everything wonderful, I'd, I'd honestly wonder if you were saved, if they would really write something like that. And I, I'm not here this morning to start a culture war with the New York Times. I, that's not what I'm getting at here. I'm just saying that your status as a co-heir with Christ Jesus means you get what Jesus gets. All the good that's coming and the, the suffering that's part of that right now. Now, some of that suffering, you're going to get, you know, cancer comes upon those who believe and those who don't believe indiscriminately. So some of that's just a part of being human. Other things, though, I think Satan saves his best work for those who are following Christ. He punishes us, insults us, brings about his forces on us. Can I just give you some advice this morning? If you're younger than 25, listen to me, okay? Those of you in this room. Our world is not going a good direction. You know that, don't you? And I can envision a world soon where it's going to be really hard to be a Christian. And I don't want you to listen to those dopes on TV telling you that it's going to be gravy. It's probably going to be hard. Now, maybe, maybe Jesus comes back tomorrow. That'd be great. Maybe there'll be a revival in this country and things will change. I, I don't know, but I'm a little concerned that that's not that's not going to be the case and you're going to live in a world that's going to be hostile to you and so you might you might need to circle back here with Romans eight seventeen. wait pastor Tony preached on this once what did he say oh yeah I should expect this life is going to be hard and I and that doesn't mean that there's not joys to be had in this world even in the midst of the suffering you know Paul wrote the book of Philippians and he talked about joy 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 all the way throughout the book. You know where he wrote that from? He wrote that from prison in chains. Talking about how he's rejoicing the Lord in the midst of that suffering. And there are good things to be experienced in this world. There are, you know, as a Christian, even if there's suffering, there's relationships, there's experiences, there's marriage, there's kids, there's art, there's beauty, there's sports. There's coconut pie. There's all kinds of good stuff to experience in this world. So I'm not here to be, you know, a, a, a dour killjoy. I just want you to know that if you're going to follow Christ, if you're going to be serious about following Christ, you're going to experience the suffering of Christ. Look at verse 17 again, okay? Just meditate on this with me for a second. Feel the weight of this. And then don't be so shocked the next time that you get persecuted, if, if you want to say that, for believing and following Jesus, actually believing what the Bible says. Okay, why, Lord, why? No, this is why. If children, then heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him, 
provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. And that last part is important. I, I can end this sermon on a high note. We will be glorified with Christ Jesus someday. We will get new glorified bodies someday that will never wear out. We will eat coconut pie someday and it won't be bad for us. Amen. Hallelujah. That's waiting. You got to go through the suffering now, the hardship now in this world to get to the glory that awaits us in Christ Jesus. And that glory is going to be glorious. It's going to be better than anything we experienced in this world. What we experience now, the good things that we experience now, will just be a, a dim, fleeting down payment of the greatness that we will experience for eternity. Charles Wesley said it this way in his hymn, All Praise to Our Redeemer. He said, And if our fellowship below in Jesus be so sweet, what height of rapture shall we know when round his throne we meet? That's what awaits us. Worship team, come on up. I'm out of time. Preach too long. Let's finish in a final song. As they're coming up, let me just relay some additional lyrics for you that I think speak to what we see in Romans 8:17. This is from a song called Madness and a band that the Caffey family has been listening to a lot lately called The Citizens. And I think this, this is right. This perfectly captures what we experience in our world right now. The song goes like this. Sometimes I wish I never was born to feel the sting of a merciless world. The constant ache of all of this grief pressing me down but it's never defeat because when I've reached the end of my years I'll lift from the grave and I'll bury my tears and I will see you face to face with brand new eyes and a finished faith I know that's kind of dark but sometimes life can be dark sometimes life can be hard this is the hope that we have for eternity this is the hope that we have in Christ Jesus. This is the hope that we have as the children of God. Isn't it now? Let's stand. Let's sing about that.